Today is uh, August the 9th, and uh, any of you who attend church here know that uh, August is our month of sabbatical. I'll say more about that. Our church sabbatical. It's when we cut back on things. Uh, and I wanted to preach today on, on Sabbath. And so I'm reading from Genesis chapter 1, verses 31 through chapter 2, verse 3. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God created a universe, and then he created this world. And it talks about how he worked on this world. He separated the seas from the land. He created plants. He created animals. And the crowning touch of his creation was us. He made us in his image. And then the writer of Genesis states that God rested. The literal word is ceased. He ceased from his creative work. He stopped doing what he was doing. And God thought that this ceasing from work was such a good idea that he would share it with the people he had just made. They should rest too. They too should cease from work. And to just show how serious God was about resting, he picked one day a week, the seventh day, and declared it holy, declared it special, different from all other days. We are to observe the Sabbath. And the first component of Sabbath observation is that we rest like God rested, that we cease from doing what we normally do. Rest is not just a good idea. It's a scientific fact. It is essential for our physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual health. Rest is not optional for human beings. You can take a pill for a lot of things, but you can't take a pill for sleep deprivation. You can't take a pill that infuses you with eight hours of sleep. You can't take a drug that erases exhaustion. You might get all caffeinated up and drink coffee all the time and you know who you are. Or you might take that five-hour energy stuff for a few hours if you're rest-deprived. But after the drugs wear off, you are more exhausted than ever. The only way to get rest is to rest. The only thing you can do about sleep is to sleep. There are no substitutes for these things. But the problem is we live in a sleep-deprived nation. Studies show the alarming fact that most of us need seven, eight, nine hours of sleep of, at, uh, at night, and we're not getting it. And I'm not talking about adults. I'm talking about teenagers. I'm talking about junior high kids. I'm talking about kids that should sleep should come to them naturally, and it's not anymore. And it's affecting people. Car accidents, inefficiency at work, poor grades at school, stupid mistakes. No energy for the important things of life come because we are not rested. There are e even they are tracing back obesity and type 2 diabetes to the lack of rest in the American people. We need the Sabbath. We need regular rest. Jesus said we were not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for us. 
because real rest is not optional. Every so often, I rediscover this the hard way. A number of months ago, I found myself hitting a wall. I was constantly tired, and I was not bouncing back. But even worse, I found myself not wanting to do things I usually love doing, like counseling. I love counseling with people. But I, for, for, for about six months there, I just didn't want to hear anybody else's problems. Take it somewhere else. And preaching. Now, I don't like getting ready to preach, but when it actually comes time to preaching, I love to preach. But for about six months there, I didn't like preaching either. I felt I was even losing my sense of humor. And usually that's one of the main ways I cope with things. When you guys get crazy, I laugh. But I didn't feel that way either. I felt kind of anxious all the time. I felt like I wasn't me anymore. I told our board, I'm tired and I'm not bouncing back. I need a sabbatical, an extended Sabbath. And they graciously gave it to me. It lasted six weeks. And you know what I discovered during that Sabbath? I was so wound up, it took me three weeks to unwind. You know, inside of us, there's this little gyroscope that seems to go round and round and round. And when that thing is just running at full speed, you can't sit down without feeling anxious or edgy. It took three weeks for that little gyroscope to slow and slow and slow and stop. I needed rest, and there was nothing else to fix the problem but rest. When you're exhausted, guess what? You quit enjoying life. You lose your joy. You indulge in self-destructive escapes. You become vulnerable to bad habits and addictions. You watch too much TV. You listen to country music and you like it. <laughs> you hear some, some caterwauling, you know, and you go, that's me too. You know, you know you're in trouble when you listen to one of these sad country songs where the guy goes, my woman left me and my dog has ticks and I can't even get drunk because the still blew up. I'm going to lie down with the dog and die. When you identify with that, you are in trouble. Other people get on Facebook and the Internet and live vicariously through other people and, you know, stalkers. You know who you are there, too. Some people even get Harlequin novels and fantasize Pierre's going to come and whisk them away, too. We must rest. Even churches need to rest which is why we cut back every August. No Wednesday nights, no Wednesday night meals, no uh, weekly youth stuff, no Sunday school, no committee meetings. We just have Sunday morning. Why? Because no one can go as hard as they can go all the time. But if a lot of our culture doesn't believe that, we think rest is for wusses. But real rest, real Sabbath is not optional. And more importantly, real rest involves letting go of our worries. Sometimes the greatest act of faith is doing nothing and giving it to God. Sometimes the greatest act of faith is doing nothing and letting God handle it. Sometimes the greatest act of faith is stepping back 
and let God run the world, including our worlds. The psalmist wrote in Psalms 127 these familiar words. Do you remember them? Unless the Lord builds the house, the, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. And here's the part we miss in verse 2. In vain you rise up early, and in vain you stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For the Lord grants sleep to those he loves. The opposite of faith is worry. Worry that gets us up early and keeps us up late. Worry that says my efforts are what matters, not God's grace or care. Real faith leads us to going to bed at a decent hour. And getting up at a decent hour. Because God grants sleep to those he loves. Unless, of course, you're a, a new mother. Which is half the congregation. That means you don't get you know, great sleep. Or you're in your 60s with a bad prostrate. I mean, prostate. <laughs> I'm sleep deprived. Anyway, sometimes you have to get up several times a night for that. I don't know. I've heard. Anyway, but Mark Buchanan writes, real Sabbath depends on complete confidence and trust in God. And confidence and trust like those that are rooted in a deep conviction that God is good and God is in control. There is no rest for those who don't believe that. If God works out all things together for good to those who love Him and are called to His purposes, you can relax. And if he doesn't, you better start worrying. If God can take any mess, any mishap, any wastage, any wreckage, any anything, and choreograph beauty and meaning from it, then you can take a day off. Hallelujah. If he can't, you better get busy. Either God is always at work watching the city and building the house, or you and I need to try harder. Either God is good and in control, or it all depends on us. Yes, worry your brains out. Rest means I believe God watches over the city and me and mine. Sabbath means I believe that God can run the world even if I'm not on duty. Hallelujah. Real faith leads to rest. There's a correlation between faith and relaxing. Now, the second aspect of Sabbath, the writer in Genesis talks about, occurs on the eve of the Sabbath and carries into the Sabbath. It says, God saw all that he had made, and it was good. In other words, God looked at his creation and enjoyed it, appreciated it, valued it. He said, I, I, I do good work. And guess what? He wants us to do the same. It is our duty to enjoy God's blessings, physical and otherwise. Our duty. Gary Thomas wrote a book called Pure Pleasure, and the subtitle was, Why Do Christians Feel So Bad About Feeling Good? And his theme is simple. It's important to enjoy what God gives us so that we won't crave what the devil and the world give us. Defeating sin is not just about trying to keep away the bad. It is about enjoying God's blessings and goodness so we don't want the bad so badly. 
Sabbath is about replenishing ourselves, refilling ourselves with God and the good things he gives us. Because taking in God's pleasures and gifts fortifies us against evil. You know, in, in a sermon I preached before, I, I quoted this from John Ortberg, and I want to read it again to you. Because I, I think too often this is missed when we talk about Sabbath. He writes this, Devote a special day to acts of celebration so that eventually joy will infuse your entire life. And here's what he says. He's talking about how to celebrate, how to, how to celebrate Sabbath. He said, one day a week, eat foods you love to eat. I heard one amen. I thought I'd get more. I really did. <laughs> Cheeseburger. <laughs> Cheeseburger. Red Lobster. That's right. I ran into Terrence uh, celebrating Sabbath. Uh, <laughs> uh. One day a week, listen to music that moves your soul. One day a week, play a sport that stretches and challenges you. One day a week, read books that refresh your spirit or wear clothes that make you happy or surround yourself with beauty. And as you do these things, give thanks to God for his wonderful goodness. Reflect on what a gracious God he is to have thought of things like this. Take the time to experience and savor joy. Savor it. Then direct your heart toward God so that you come to know he is the giver of every good and perfect gift. Nothing is too small if it produces true joy in us and causes us to turn to God in gratitude and delight. This is part of Sabbath. This past week, I had a great Sabbath. My Sabbaths are not on Sunday. I have other things to do. And on my Sabbath, I played golf on a beautiful golf course in perfect weather. I played well. I laughed with friends and then beat their brains out on the golf course. Then one of my friends actually brought me a rack of perfect barbecue ribs which I did not have to share with anyone. There's a benefit to an empty nest. Hallelujah. There's not fellow carnivores coming after your food. And at the end of the day, I felt so grateful to God. Grateful for the beauty of nature. Grateful for the glories of summer. Grateful for health. Grateful for friends. Grateful for God's incredible generosity. God gives us gifts and blessings to draw us closer to himself. God wants us to take time on Sabbath to enjoy and savor his blessings. And when we enjoy them, guess what happens when we enjoy God's blessings? Gratitude is born. And what happens when gratitude is born? Love begins to grow. And what happens when love for God begins to grow? Praise comes out of your heart. And what happens when you begin to praise, worship for God and who he is begins to enfold you? This is a critical part of worship. This is a critical part of Sabbath. And a third lesson of Sabbath we see with God in Genesis is God reflecting on the creation he made. It says God took stock after six days. He stepped back. 
Stepping back is important to gaining perspective in life, don't you think? It's so easy, I find in our culture, to get lost in the moment, to get lost in the present. Sabbath reminds us God wants us to live in the moment without getting lost in it. Sabbath calls us to reflect on God, His Word, His purposes, to gain perspective over what is temporary and what is permanent, what is important and what isn't, what is true and what is false. Sabbath calls us to look at our lives and discern where God has moved and is moving. Sabbath really calls us to listen to our hearts and our souls. One writer said that, who was a pastor, he said that he had a man at his church who told him about a man who was a machinist at a factory. This guy was the best machinist at this factory. He had this unerring ability to home in on the exact trouble, on the exact machine, and repair it. Nobody else could touch him. The man's friends noticed for a long time something that related to this. For a long time, this man left the lunchroom 10 minutes before everyone else went back to work. And at first they thought he was going over to tinker with the machinery. But then one day they followed him, and they saw that this machinist never looked at a single or particular machine. What he did is he just stood in the middle of the room, eyes closed, listening. That's all he did for 10 minutes. And in the silence, in the absence of workers working and tromping around and talking, he would tune his ears to catch the most subtle pitch and timber, cadence and inflection of those machines. He could literally hear what was working well and what wasn't and he knew what was wrong and which machine it was coming from simply by standing there in the silence for 10 minutes. This is what we're called to do, isn't it? Part of Sabbath is that we are to stand still and listen to the pitch and the timber of our own souls, are we not? To stand still and listen to the cadence an inflection of what is in our hearts, to listen as God speaks through our hearts to us what is working well and what isn't working well. God reflected on the Sabbath. We're supposed to reflect on the Sabbath. We're supposed to listen. Our lives swarm with noise. And often none of us ever make time for listening to God or what's inside us at all. We know there's a problem. Things keep breaking down all the time, but we have no idea how to remedy it. Sabbath is for listening. The problem is most of us don't listen, or if we do listen, we don't listen well. You know what I think is the biggest problem with North American Christianity? It is superficiality. It's that we never go deep. We, we do things. We go through certain habits. We, we go, but we never stop and say, where do I really, really, really need to grow and go? Where is God really calling me? We don't go deep anymore. 
It even affects prayers. Often our prayers can descend into mindless chatter where we get so busy talking to God, we talk right past Him. We never hear anything He's saying to us. We have to listen. And we have to enter into silence to listen. It's hard to listen when you're running your yap all the time. Many years ago, President Franklin Roosevelt grew weary of all the trivia and empty talk and smooth talk at White House receptions. Everyone listened to themselves, but no one listened to one another. And, And Roosevelt noticed this. So Roosevelt tried something. As he met with the guests at a social gathering, he would flash his huge smile, extend his firm and confident handshake, and say, I murdered my grandmother this morning. And person after person would come through the line as he went, and he would grab their hand and go, I murdered my grandmother this morning to hundreds of guests. And people would respond. He would go, I murdered my grandmother. And they would go, oh, Mr. President, you're doing a wonderful job. I murdered my grandmother this morning. Oh, Mr. President, that's just lovely. Finally, finally, one foreign diplomat actually listened to him. And when Roosevelt went, I murdered my grandmother this morning without missing a beat, he responded, I'm sure she had it coming to her, Mr. President. And he moved on down the line. (laughs) Sabbath is for listening and for times of silence as well as rest and celebration. We need to hear from God. Don't you need to hear from God? That's why we are here. We need to hear God saying, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. I've got news for you this morning. You may not have not noticed. The world is going to hell. We need someone to tell us, I have overcome the world. We need someone to tell us they can get us through the world. We need to come away regularly so we don't get lost in the world's false values and lies and fears. We need God's perspective, not CNN's, not CBS's and NBC's and Fox's or Cosmo magazine. We need perspective. Part of why we listen to God is to gain the right perspective. You know, I'll share my a quick perspective with you, and I hope it's yours too. I don't know about you, but the Lord has been awfully good to me. I've lived a lifetime of blessings. I've never lacked for food or shelter or clothes. Many have. I've been blessed with good health. Many haven't. I have a wonderful family, at least the one I got now, not the one I grew up with. And I want you to hear this. If I lost it all tomorrow, all I can say is the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I have no complaints. Why? Because I didn't deserve it to begin with. Because it was all because of God's grace to begin with. The Lord has been more than generous with me. Besides that, no matter what I lose in the physical realm, I can't lose the Lord's best blessings. I can't lose His good stuff. His grace, His love, His forgiveness can't be taken from me by the devil. God's presence, His salvation, His spirit can't be stolen or destroyed by anything in this world. Who can separate us from the love of God? Sabbath helps me remember these things. It reminds me to take a step back and not lose perspective. It reminds me to see things from God's point of view. Dan Postema writes this. 
Not that I frequently forget about God during the week. But often the vision of God's presence gets blurred. My priorities get jumbled. My commitments seem unclear. My perspective narrows to the mundane. I'm often influenced by this. This is all there is. There ain't no more secularism. Sabbath helps me celebrate that there's more than meets the eye reality. It urges me to lift my gaze from the mundane to the lofty. Sabbath calls us to look up. Worship lets us see, you see, the bigness of God. It helps us to realize again that He is bigger than our problems. He is bigger than our sins. He is bigger than our fears. He is bigger than our narrow agendas. And as God gets bigger, everything else gets smaller. Hallelujah. We gain perspective and strength and courage and power. We worship because worship shows us what is real. And just as importantly, worship shows us what isn't real. There is no other way through than through worship to see just how big God is in comparison to everything else. And it's so important that God created a day for us to do just that. That's why church is important on Sunday. To help each other see how big God is together. Because I got news for you. The secular world, it's getting more secular. The evil world, it's getting more eviler. The bad world is getting badder. The world is getting stronger. And it outnumbers us. We need each other. We need to come together. We need to worship together. We need to reinforce the truth together. We need to pray together. Because I guarantee you, you're not going to get much of it out there. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Because if we keep it holy, if we adhere to the principles of Sabbath, it will keep us holy. If we keep the Sabbath holy, it will keep us whole. Amen? Amen. We need to rest. We need to celebrate. We need to reflect. We need to worship. And we need to do it together at times. Hallelujah. That's why we're here today. I'd like, we're going to take communion now. I'd like the servers of communion to gather themselves. But before we take communion together, what I'd like us to do is to take a minute of reflection. Would you do that? And to prepare for communion and to ask God as we stand in the center of our own hearts and our own souls and listen to Him, what is running right? And Lord, what do you need to fix? before we take communion. Will you take a moment and listen? Search me, O Lord, and see if there be any wicked 
or screwed up way in me that needs fixing. Forgive me of it and help me, Lord, on the path to holiness and wholeness. Amen. We now invite you to come to this table, not because you must, but because you may. Come to testify, not that you're perfect, but that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciple. Come not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Lift up your minds and hearts above all selfish fears and cares. Let this bread and this cup be to you the witness of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit. We're going to take communion in our seats today. We ask that you hold the bread and the cup until we all can take, partake of it together in unity. You do not have to be a member of this church or the Brethren in Christ denom denomination. We ask that you simply love our Lord. And so we will begin. Also, I want you to know that if you have any issues, if you need, uh, you're allergic to gluten, in our, in, as we pass this out, there will be little plastic bags with gluten-free bread in it. We don't want everyone to take it, only if you're allergic to, to gluten. We follow his example. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your gifts. Lord, there's so many. There's so many. But the greatest gift of all is you. And your broken body. And your sacrifice for us. Bless us, Lord, as we celebrate this wondrous gift this morning. Amen.
Let us read the responsive reading together. Brothers and sisters, this bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Take and eat this bread, remembering that he was born to be our Savior. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Feed on him in your heart and be thankful. The night when Jesus was betrayed, he also took the cup, blessed it, and gave to it to his disciples. We do likewise. Hank, would you please pray? Father God, we thank you so much for sending your son. Lord Jesus, we thank you that on Calvary's tree, you lovingly, willingly, freely gave your life for us. And we thank you that the blood that was shed makes us your family, and it matters even more than the blood that pours in our veins. As we take this cup, may we be reminded of the table of the feast to come, but also the feast this morning, that together we are indeed your body. In your name we pray, amen.
us read together. Brothers and sisters, this cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? Take this cup, remembering that he said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it together and be thankful. This time I'd like the worship team to come forward and I would like you to stand. I'd like the intercessors to come forward. The altar will be open for prayer for anything.
that course will be our benediction today. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. Let that be your prayer for us together and us individually. Let's sing that. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. Go in God's peace.